Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, I'm your host, and today I've got a special guest, Mr. Andy Ising of JBR Industries. And JBR does commercial chamber sealers, and they also have the VAC 100, and he's here to talk about chamber sealing. I'll be right back with Andy Ising. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from Fire and hey all, I want to introduce you to a company I just started working with, Fresh Jack's Organic Spices out of Jacksonville, Florida. They're a small, family-run company that's fast-growing. I've tried a bunch of their different seasoning blends and spices, and I can tell you they are all fresh, all organic. None of them contain artificial flavors or sweeteners. None of them have anti-caking agents or preservatives. They all taste like they were just made for you yesterday. Check them out, guys. They're on Amazon in the link below. They have different sample packs, different blends. Like I said, they also have the individual seasonings and spices as well. Fresh Jack's Organic Spices. Check them out, guys. I love them. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I am Darren. I am your host, of course. I want to welcome back and welcome not a back, but welcome a guest that I've been wanting to get on for a while. I think you guys are going to find this interesting. Um, he is uh, and Andy Essing, and he is from JVR Industries. And if you've um, looked at my website or my Facebook groups, you'll know that I use the JVR Vac 100 uh, chamber vacuum sealer, and I really love it. It's a great product, and uh, JVR has been around a while for in the vacuum sealing business. And I wanted to get Andy on here because I've been getting a lot of views, a lot of questions, a lot of uh, people wanting to find out more about vacuum sealers. Um, they're getting a lot more popular. So Andy, welcome to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us where you are, who you are, and where you're from. All right. Thanks, Darren. Uh, I'm Andy uh, Ising, um, German name. Uh, JVR Industries, um, we've been in business since 1972. I'm from Buffalo, New York. Uh, I have uh, uh, two kids, a one and a uh, three-year-old. And uh, we've been here in Buffalo uh, our whole lives, born and raised. My parents are actually, my father more specifically, is the one that has been working at JVR for 30-some years. He's the vice president, and that's kind of how I got involved with it. We'll go you know, into that a little bit more later. But yeah, uh, lovely area. Uh, w- welcome people to visit us at any time. And uh we do vacuum packaging, equipment, and supplies, and we've been specializing in it for over 45 years. So you're in the home of the chicken wing, you know. We the are <laughs> chicken wing. Uh, our chicken wings in snow. <laughs> I, uh, I, I told you earlier that I, I grew up not too far from where you live. I'm right over in between Rochester and Syracuse, right on Lake Ontario. So I'm well aware of lake effect snow. You get it a lot more because you're uh, you get it from Lake Erie and Lake Ontario. You're like you get it from both sides. Yes, <laughs> so you get, you get a lot of snow during the winter. That's for sure. But yeah, it's a, in the summertime, it's a gorgeous area. You're right across from Niagara Falls. We used to go there all the time for vacation. My family did. So a lot to do there in the Southern Ontario and uh, that, that whole area with all the wineries. So it's a really great area to live except for the winter when it gets some snowy. <laughs> yeah. Four or five feet dumps of snow uh, all at one time, which is, Oddly enough, and well, funny, I guess uh, the one time I went out of town for a, a week was when we got our seven feet of snow. So my wife, Rachel, was stuck at home snow blowing and taking care of all that. So uh, she'll never 
let me hear the end of that. So needless to say, I cannot go out of town anymore when there's a, that much <laughs> yeah, I, I left there when I was like 15. So I, uh, I've been in Florida ever since. And I, I like to go back and visit in the summertime, but even in the summer, it gets down to like, you know, the fifties and forties at night. So it's not, uh, you know, down here it's fifties and forties is our winter. So, um, I'm, I don't think I'd ever move back there. If I did, it would be just like for the summertime and have a house down in the you know, South, like some people do and have a, a house up there during the uh, summertime or springtime. So it's beautiful up there in the fall and spring too. So yeah, it would but, be, be hard to do your growing, uh, yeah those up here in the middle of winter that would be interesting <laughs> that's that's for for sure but so i want to kind of talk about so you kind of led into it you know your dad was the one that kind of got you into jbr and he's been there for over 30 years so let's kind of skip that then so that's kind of how you got into jbr so how long has jbr been in business yep 1972 is when it was established uh jbr stands for john victor radzewang he's the owner the sole owner of jbr industries so my, uh, my dad came around in, I want to say it was the late 70s, uh, right before the 80s. And he kind of started up just working. It was a, a small local service company. We basically just did uh, sales and service in our local markets, so like a lot of the grocery store chains doing uh, primarily a lot of uh, service on like polymatic caddy machines. We did do some chambers in those early years, but it wasn't until we started importing a line of high quality equipment out of Germany called the Lakevac line, which is no longer in existence. That's when things started to take off and uh, a dealer network was start, you know, they started to build up and my dad kind of headed that up uh, as far as building up relationships with a number of guys across the country, distributing this line of equipment out of Germany. So it was at the time, really the first relatively affordable machine, because back then everything out of Europe was pretty affordable. Uh, that was made out of uh, stainless steel, all stainless steel. All the machines before that were primarily aluminum based and um, corroded and there was a lot of issues with that so they were one of the first to come out with the stainless steel machine so that was a big thing that was the big deal back in the day <laughs> yeah so it's from the beginning it's been strictly um, wholesale or commercial servicing businesses it really wasn't a retail operation at all correct yep no we never really uh, got into so retail um, never had a retail type facility it was all commercially based uh, b2b I and mean, yeah, we definitely changed that a little bit over these past, you know, well, six months primarily, but past year. But yeah, uh, that's that was always our kind of our base. Well, yeah, because for the longest time, it was kind of uh, out of touch. The, the price points and everything were really out of the you know regular Joe's or home users' hands. You know, they had the food savers and seal meals that were cheap plastic, you know, that they could afford, but they they got a bad rep because they just never lasted very long or worked very good. So, yeah. you know, it just, um, but in the last few years with some of the things that have been going on with, you know, sous vide cooking and, and just the way technology has advanced. Um, that's one of the things I want to talk about later on is some of the stuff that with, with all these new advances with, with technology, things have gotten cheaper and smaller and better and on higher quality and with a less price. So, uh, it looks like you guys are now starting to look into the retail market, which, you know, the first entry you guys had is the, the VAC 100, which I really love. And, um, you know, for, for what it is and compared to what else is out there, I think it's one of the better in between. It's it's great for a home user, but it's also great if you're semi-commercial or you process a lot of food for, you know, if you're a hunter or or 
you know, you have a small market or something like that. Um, you know, it's a really great tool as well. So let's talk about what got them involved in trying to do retail. Yeah. So, um, we, over the years, we've always done vacuum packaging, primarily even chamber machines, because there's other forms of vacuum packaging, but you know, chambers was always our base and our, our focus and probably going about going on about 10 years or so now ago, we brought in, um, we imported some, some machines that we were looking at when a lot of the Asian manufacturers were starting to develop and, and create and build chamber machines. Well, we kind of dabbled in it a little bit. We brought some in just to kind of test them out, just to see where they were at at the time. Because one thing, um, we full disclosure, full honesty, um, our company, JVR Industries, we do not uh, pretend that we are a manufacturer. We don't manufacture anything. We don't, one of the slogans of John Radzawan uh, was, we don't make anything, we just make things better. So what we've always focused on is taking products that a lot of times we see the potential in and really focusing, getting them out in distribution, supporting them well, because that's usually the, the biggest downfall with any machine, whether it's, you know, a $20,000, $30,000 chamber machine or or that, you know, five to seven, $800 chamber machine, all of those, they just need support at the end of the day. Someone needs to be uh, backing it. Um, or else it's just going to fall flat on its face. So, so we find those opportunities and we, um, we introduce them to the market. Well, again, going back about 10 years, we, we did dabble. We did bring some stuff, you know, different items in and different machines when um, the Asian markets started to get involved with low cost options. And we did not see, we, we did a lot of testing in house. We found some machines were catching fire, just not good quality pumps that were, were failing um, a lot of issues. So we, we definitely put that on the back burner, did not pursue it at all at that time, kind of see the trends and how things get approved upon over the years. So I'd say probably the last three years, I've been looking into um, definitely a, a lower cost option of something that I really love that we could fall in love with, that we could put our name on and say that this machine is worth buying and spending the money on. And the last thing we want to do is ruin our reputation. So we, uh, we, we found... Um, this machine that we are branded as the VAC 100, we are the direct importers of it. We um, fully stand behind it 100%. We are working directly with the manufacturer um, to make improvements and changes, which um, we always welcome um, suggestions from customers. If you have a suggestion of something that you'd like to see on the machine, we can't guarantee that everything's gonna be implemented, but at the same time, if we see it to be beneficial, we're already coming out with our first generation change, which isn't gonna be a major uh, revamp, but there are going to be some setting changes and a few things that we've already um, looked at as being, you know, improvements. So with that being said, we really think we found a winner on this unit. What we saw and the reason we got into it and knew it was the right time is we saw a drastic downtick on our small entry level commercial type chamber. When I say commercial, I'm saying um, uh, that we can kind of uh, the way I use the word commercial is going to be different than some of our competitors will use the word commercial. Commercial, I refer to as a machine that's got a Bush vacuum pump in it. And uh, with anyone that knows vacuum packaging, Bush is the industry standard when it comes to commercial vacuum chamber machines. Any, any machine that is built out of Europe or built in the U.S., built anywhere else around the world that is at the thousand minimum, I'm talking bare minimum, thousand dollars plus, is going to um, need to have a Bush vacuum pump in it. Most machines, well, I can guarantee any machine a thousand dollars or under will not have a, a Bush vacuum pump in it. And Bush was actually the one that uh, first, um, Carl Bush, I believe was his name. He, he was the one that very first started the, the vacuum chamber machine back in like the 60s. 
so he introduced it to the the world market and that's that's kind of the big difference between what i consider commercial and then we also will say that the back 100 is a commercial duty unit but it's a difference between you know using a machine two three hours a day to using a machine eight hours a day every day of the week for 20 years straight and that is that's the that's the difference yeah that's a, that's pretty much yeah that's why i don't really want to say it's a total commercial you know quality but it it's something where if you process if you're for a small business and you're doing it you know 10 or 20 times a day but if you're sitting there non-stop it's not a something that's going to be in a factory or in a warehouse or something that's going to get non-stop usage every day but um you know and, and i guess from since that's what jvr concentrated on for most of their you know existence is commercial quality things that are going to last things that are built you know that you guys are there to support it but you know you're not putting junk into these businesses uh, hands that you're going to have to be called every other day and go hey this thing keeps breaking down come get it you know um i guess that's why you you look at it a little different on the retail side where most companies will just grab any old cheap they'll go on alibaba and just rebadge something out of china and stick their name on it uh, and I, not not just in the vacuum sealer market. I'm talking about a lot of different markets and electronics, and you know, even on the cookers and you know the barbecue grills. You, you could go on Alibaba and see about you know ten different grills that you'll see in Walmart, and they're all different names, you know, because that's all they do is they they, they buy a big uh, boatload of them, stick their names on them, and resell them. So, but um, it looks like you guys do a lot more research, even though you are using other people's products, you still have more say and how they can change it and fix it and make it the way you want it. But I think a lot of people don't understand that, even with like VacMaster. VacMaster doesn't make any of their products. You know, um, They just stick their VacMaster name on it. But they do have some control over how the manufacturers put those together. They can make some demands because they are a big, you know, big company with a big name that they want to make sure that the stuff that they're putting out there you know, is going to live up to their name. But they don't make any products. You know, they just take everything and and sell it and they're more of a go-between but um they do have some say in how it's uh, put out there i just want i don't think a lot of people know that <laughs> yeah that's 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 all i mean even big giant companies that we think of um that are out there are doing the same thing um some of them obviously own their own factories overseas but there's a lot of them that just it's all about Branding. I mean, branding is almost completely separate. Usually the companies that are really good at making things are not the ones that are good at branding and selling it. So a lot of times those are two separate entities. Yeah. I think about 90% of the vacuum sealers you'll see on Amazon, even, I mean, mostly the cheaper ones are all just made in some factory in China and somebody just stuck their name on it. And yeah. A lot of times it's just the, the Chinese company itself sticking their name on it and setting it out there as cheap as they can. And, you know, it's kind of hard to look through a lot of this. And I think that's why I'm getting a lot more questions and a lot more people are asking me and I'm doing these reviews on, on stuff on vacuum sealers. I was really surprised. I started doing just some reviews on vacuum sealers just because it was part of my sous vide and barbecue thing. And they, they took off more than some of my other stuff. So I said, well, I might as well start doing some more of this. So and doing some more reviews and showing people how to use them. So it's been really popular. And I think that's because people don't know and they, they go to Amazon or some other place and they see all these different brands and all these different prices and they have no clue on what they're looking at. So I think 
that's one of the things I want to talk about, the different types of vacuum sealers that are out there. Now, you said that you guys deal mostly with just chamber sealers. So, right. Yeah, primarily. I mean, that was our, our base and our core was uh, vacuum chamber type sealers. But even just in the vacuum chamber realm, you've got, you know, your, your tabletop and what, you know, I would classify now we're coming out with an even lower level, but they're an entry level chamber for like a home user or small commercial would be what I would group the back 100 and a lot of the back masters and I group Abbott armor, but now we're coming out with these like $400 options that are kind of in that same range, but, but that that's like an entry level tabletop, but then you've got like your commercial tabletops that usually will start um, minimum usually at around 15, two grand. Um, and then they'll go up from there, but then you get into single chambers or single chambers, what we consider anything that's got like a wheel around like base to it. So it doesn't sit on a table. And those can get, uh, you know, seal bars 26, 28 inches long. And then um, when it comes to commercial level, the, the focus and what everyone is always striving to get when it comes to chamber machines is, is a swing lid or a double chamber machine. And that's basically two chambers side by side that has a, a common lid that will swing back and forth so that as you're loading the one side with your product across the bars, the other side's vacuuming. So, you know, when you use your vacuum sealer at home, obviously time is not, you know, critical um, or nearly as critical, but you're sitting there waiting, you know, 40, 50 seconds for it to, uh, to seal the bag. Well, double chambers allow you to bounce back and forth from left to right, and you're constantly working. The operator's constantly loading and keeping up with the machine. So, and then even from there, you get into, you know, automatic lid transfers. And there's other things, but uh, to speed up the time, bigger vacuum pumps you put in a machine to bring your cycle times down. But then uh, we also do get into roll stock packaging, which is even higher on higher up in the commercial space, which is if you go to um, a lot of grocery stores, a lot of grocery stores now they're packaging. If you see it like in a bulk pack where it's all vacuum sealed in individual packages. Um, I know Wegmans, they're a big chain in our area. Um, and that's how everything is sealed in their meat department. Um, that's done in roll stock. So we we do sell those uh, machines that do that. We recondition equipment and uh, do the vacuum pumps. We rebuild them um, and then sell the materials. So we do a lot in the materials too, whether it's the, the plastic pouches or the, the film that's used on a roll stock machine. Other than that, you've got obviously your external vacuum type machines that we try to stay away from. Just um, it's not our niche of the market, but I mean, we all, we do have the embossed bags so like for, for customers that do reach out to us for those. Uh, and then you also have like nozzle plate sealers, which are more of a, again, a commercial machine with commercial pumps and stuff that allow you to use a, a standard bag. You don't need to use an embossed bag. It physically has a, a stainless steel nozzle that goes into the pouch that pulls a vacuum externally and then removes the nozzle and the seal bar comes down. So it doesn't require that pattern, that embossment in I order to seal. I actually seen there's a, a retail model out there from some company. I want to say it's in China or Thailand or something. They have one of those. And uh, I can't remember what the name of the product is, but there's, there's one out there on Amazon. And, uh, and I know there's a company somewhere like in Texas or somewhere that's, that makes those on a commercial basis where, yeah, it's just got the little steel thing that you know shoots into the bag sucks it out and then it seals it pulls that out and you can have moisture because it'll the moisture squirts out the back you know so yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't get into the pump somehow so but i've seen one of those and it's like about a hundred bucks on amazon but i've just i don't know how long that thing's going to last either because it's not built very you know i try to stay away from the really cheap plastic stuff that i know is not going to last long because usually their seal strips are you know not made really well and 
you know, a lot of people when they break, it's the seal bar or the, or the seal strip that goes out and they could probably fix it if they wanted to, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense after a while. But um, so let's talk about the different types of vacuum sealers. So we, we, we went a little bit, what is the difference between a chamber sealer and a external or a channel type vacuum sealer? What's the difference in the final product? Yeah, so um, chamber sealer uh, is first of all going to give you a, a much stronger vacuum because it's it's creating like a perfect atmosphere within that chamber. So as long as your gaskets are intact, you can close that lid and it's pulling a vacuum into a chamber. Now there's many advantages to doing it this way. One, you're able to kind of create that perfectly sealed chamber and pull a vacuum where you don't have to be concerned about uh, the, the bag being laid across an external bar where now you're closing it and basically it's just being pinched off by you know a couple pieces of rubber which doesn't give you nearly as much of a pressure and also a pinch point as um, a chamber would because once a chamber pulls a vacuum atmospheric not to get into too much atmospheric pressure is 14.7 pounds so we're being pushed down on at 14.7 pounds per square inch just by standing here if you're at sea level well you pull a vacuum and you're getting really close to that zero mark. You don't, you never hit perfect zero, but you get real close to that. So that's the amount of pressure that that lid is now being held down when it's under vacuum. So it's it's a very tight seal. And uh, what you do now is you create an atmosphere inside that chamber that is equal inside the bag as it is outside the bag. So most customers, when they see a chamber machine for the first time with a clear lid where they can actually see inside what's going on, they're surprised that, you know, during the vacuum cycle, nothing's happening. They're just watching it and it doesn't look like anything's going on. And that's because, you know, it's pulling vacuum equally around the product. And it isn't until the seal bar comes up or down, usually down on a, a tabletop machine, that it seals the bag. And then once it introduces the outside air back into the chamber and repressurizes, uh, equalizes, um, that's when you'll see the product slam down or the bag slag, slam down and, and pull tight. So what this is great for, again, um, a lot of people go to chambers and they're doing liquids because there's no... A suction effect. You're not pulling liquids out, pushing liquids in. There's no movement of the product. It's also great uh, if you're looking just to get the optimal seal and optimal vacuum inside the bag. From our tests, we've we've um, found what level of vacuum you need to achieve in order to eliminate frostbite or freezer burn. Not frostbite, freezer burn inside of a you know when you go to freeze your products, and usually it's like a ninety equates to be like a ninety nine point eight five percent, and those levels aren't even achievable on um, you know your your home use food saver. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get close to those levels and greatly improve it. But if you're really looking for optimal, you know, life within a freezer, um, you want to be able to take that product out a year later and have it be as fresh and, um, you know, as the day you put it in, then re you really need to get down to those real low levels of vacuum. So there's, there's many reasons why like those embossed, like the external ones can't get to those levels. A lot of it's because you're, you're trying to pack everything into a very small unit. They, they usually have dry, very small vacuum pumps that are dry style that don't use any sort of oil. The oil is really important in a vacuum pump um, in order to create a, um, a perfect seal within the cylinder. Um, the oil actually helps um, close the gap between the, the cylinder, the piston that's inside there, and the sidewall of the, uh, the pump. So without that oil, you can never get that, uh, you can never close up that gap and get it, you know, perfect. Um, there's always going to be a little bit of gap inside those pumps. So, but yeah, so and and biggest difference between chamber and embossed um, is going to be the bag itself and the, obviously the cost. And that's what we always try to tell people. Um, so if you're you're buying one roll of uh, embossed bags at a time and you're using those over a couple months, 
it's going to be pretty hard to justify a chamber machine for anybody. But if you're someone that's buying cases of embossed bags and you're going through quite a few or you're processing deer or uh, your own, um, you know, your own meat, then you definitely might see the advantage of, um, you know, going up to a, a chamber type machine. You'll see a significant savings just in the bag pricing alone. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I try to tell people. It all depends on how you're going to use it. I mean, I'll get people all the time, and, and all my groups will just ask, you know, what should I get? And it's like, well, how often are you going to use it? Are you only going to use it to do, you know, a couple sous vide cooks a week, or are you going to use it to, you know, all your food that you, if you're going to go buy bulk food at Costco and, and you know, freeze a bunch of meat, you know, you might want something a little bit more heavy duty. You know, you might want to step up to a chamber sealer if you're going to be using it a lot. But if you're only going to use it once or twice a week or, you know, two or three times a week, you know, I, I, you know, it's going to take a lot to justify it because there is a bag savings, you know, and then a lot of people will say, you know, well, you know, the, the boss bags are like, you know, 12 cents a piece and the chamber bags are like three cents a piece, but it's going to take you a lot of bags if you're only using it, you know, three or four times a week <laughs> to, to make up that difference. But then again, they're getting cheaper now. And that's one of the things too, you know, like I was want to talk about with, with the technology and some of the things that are being offered. I mean, I know that like even with the VAC 100, they're starting to use, you know, more of a plastics or the heavy duty plastics inside the chamber instead of stainless steel. So that reduces some of the cost and some of the weight and, and they're starting to develop them, you know, a little bit lower profile. So they're, they don't take up as much room. I mean, do you see some of these manufacturers are starting to customize and, and make them this way because they can see a, a growing home market for these? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They they know um, they know the price point that they need to hit these machines at, uh, get them at to, to really mass produce, but also um, uh, to get uh, to make them acceptable to the home user and and at the price point that they're looking to get. I would not be surprised if it's in the next few years here, you're getting to that like 199 price point. Everything is in volume. I mean, it's no secret. You look at some of the components around your uh, your kitchen. I mean, if you if you look at what goes into like a microwave, I mean, there's quite a few components in a microwave that now they're able to build them and, and get them out there for 20 to 40 bucks. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. Televisions, I mean, all that stuff. It's electronics. The biggest cost, uh, again, that they're, again, able to bring down more and more is, is going to be the cost of the actual vacuum pump itself. And uh, that's where the the significant savings. As soon as, as soon as you swap out um, like a bush pump for any other pump, it's going to bring down that cost greatly. And uh, that's where I think we're going to keep seeing those trends and and those costs come down more and more. I've seen some again dry type pumps that are used on some of the other you know even cheaper um, chamber machines that are literally I mean they weigh a, a pound or two and they're very small and compact. So once they figure that all out and how to cram it into a small cavity, you know they'll they'll get the price point down much more than it is right now. Um, it's funny, like 15 years ago, my dad, I was sitting with him the other day and he showed me a brochure because I was kind of joking around with them about, because surprisingly, a lot of people have been telling me that they're putting these machines in their, their kitchens, which is great, but I don't have room in my kitchen to put one, but um, some people obviously do. And they, years ago, a German company came out with uh, a machine that uh, was designed and uh, marketed towards being a built-in unit for in your like kitchen island. I mean, it, it, they it, have those now. If you um, Miele has those, and they really actually good. they actually sell it with their. They have a steam oven. Um, they're like four or five grand, uh, maybe even more than that. But it's a uh, and they're from Germany um, or Europe. I, I know. I think it's Germany, but they make a steam oven that has like sous vide mode. But they have one that's got the built-in chamber sealer. 
Okay. It's like a drawer that pulls out and you stick it in there and you close the drawer and it vacuums it up and then you stick it in your oven. So yeah, it's out there. It's just, um, now they got to start driving the price down to get yeah. it. You know, yeah, right I now it's in a, someone in a sharp refrigerator, sharp made a fridge that had a slot right in the front door of the, it was like a side-by-side right in the front door of the fridge that you would, it was more of like an embossed style sealer, but you would slide the bag into the, into the slot in the fridge and would vacuum seal right there. So it's, they're, ma- they're making it more mainstream. And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, a lot of it's definitely cost savings. I mean, uh, growing food waste is just, you know, it's always been high in the U.S. and, and everywhere. I mean, it's not just a, a United States problem, but uh, a lot of, you know, food is wasted and thrown out. And, you know, it's just ways of preserving and, and keeping that stuff fresher longer so that you can continue to use it. So I think in the long term, the biggest detriment to vacuum packaging, at least in this country, is going to be the the plastic, plastic waste that unfortunately goes on with it. I think there's hope for our industry we're going to see where things go but we're we're already trying to look into more green options because we just know that we're trying to get ahead of, ahead of that trend a little bit um and uh getting into you know more packaging materials that are are recyclable and environmentally friendly because it's the writing's on the wall there as far as you know regulation goes so um yeah. in our in our local area they've banned plastic bags in, in new york so you can't even get a plastic bag at the grocery store anymore so on a commercial level at least i see that coming eventually when it comes to um, packaging material. I've heard of, I have another company that, um, their Vesta precision out of Washington, they've mentioned something about trying to develop or have their manufacturer that they, they, you know, buy stuff from develop a biodegradable type, you know, uh, chamber, not chamber sealer bag, but just a, um, uh, a channel type bag to see if they can do that. I don't know that they're trying to do that with some of these silicone, you know, some of these, um, Companies try to get these silicone type bags with the little hand pumps. Actually, I got one right here. Like know. a reusable bag. Yeah, they're like these little reusable bags, and they sell this little hand pump that pumps out the, from the little hole here. And they're really not that good because you can see I used this once, and you can't clean them out. You know, I scrubbed this thing out. So they're not really <laughs> they got a great idea, but they're just not very practical because they get dirty really quick and you can't clean them out and then they get all gummed up and you end up throwing them out after two or three uses anyway. But, um, I know that there's, you know, with innovation, people are always going to come up with something. So I, I can see that the more people start using it, the more people start getting more conscious about it. They're going to, they're going to, somebody's going to come up with something to, uh, do that. Hey all it's Darren. And today I want to talk about the ink bird. Wi-Fi Rainproof 4 Pro Barbecue Thermometer that's brand new. The IBBQ4T has a rechargeable battery that can last up to 26 hours once it's fully charged. And you can monitor it from pretty much anywhere with the 2.4 gigahertz Wi-Fi that it uses. It comes with the brand new Inkbird Pro app that you can monitor your meat and the temperature of the grill from pretty much anywhere. From your house, anywhere in the house, from your office, from the store, driving down the street. Inkbird makes some really awesome barbecue products, and this one is no exception. Check it out below with the link to Amazon. You can use the code that's listed for $30 off, making it only $70. Check out Inkbird and all their products. Now back to the Fire & Water Cooking Podcast. So right now, since you guys sell mostly on the uh, commercial side, how much of your business is um, the actual machines and how much of, is, is the uh, bags itself? Yeah, it's right now it's about 60, 
40 um, as far as the equipment, um, favoring the equipment side of things. Um, so we do uh, definitely do a fair amount of uh, pouch sales. Um, if you group in um, like our, our film sales, which is like on the roll stock side, which we also do right at around 50-50 if you kind of group that all together. So pretty much every machine sale we get, we will, on the commercial side, we definitely uh, are, are more, not I wouldn't say competitive, but we, we go after that business a little bit greater. Um, we know there's a lot of options when it comes to like the consumer side. So we do encourage customers when they, you know, buy back 100 to, you know, pick up some supplies and they're always happy with it. But that, that market is very competitive again with Amazon and anywhere you can buy a, a pack of bags. And we're not ones to say that you have to use our bags with our machine. You know, we know that there's, you know, a bunch of places and they're all, they're all the same. Um, so we yeah. work our bags again, again a, a little bit of. You know, insider information, 99.9% of the bags in the U.S. Um, are coming out of out of Asia and China. So, I mean, we do have capabilities of making our own products um, in our facility. We do have a, my dad's a partner with a guy up in Toronto that does um, uh, manufacturing. Um, so we convert, we can take the, the master roll material and actually make it into custom sizes of bag. Again, for strictly, you know, for the most part, commercial accounts. But yeah, it's it's definitely a good, a very good side of the business for us because it's residual. You work yeah. hard for that machine sale. You get the machine sell and, you know, you built, you, we're selling quality equipment. That means you're not selling a whole lot of parts for them. And the the bag is what uh, the bag business and the pouch business is what keeps, you know, keeps on coming. So, um, yeah, I think Xerox did that, you know, for many years, you know, when they were selling copiers, their big moneymaker was selling the paper. You know, if you had, you know, bought a Xerox copier and they had your Xerox rep, you know, he would sell you the paper, you know, you had other people selling paper too, but that's what they try to do. And, and food saver for the longest time, you know, they made most of their money on the bags. It wasn't the, you know, it, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't the actual unit itself. They'd sell you a unit for 60, 70, 80 bucks. And then, you know, you, those bags were getting really expensive after a while. But um, so, yeah, and that's one of the big complaints that people will say is, you know, I pay more for the bags than I do for the, the sealer. <laughs> but um, so let's, since we're talking about bags, I know that I've been getting, we talked about this a little earlier, but I've been getting a lot of questions on the different types of bags that are out there on both the commercial side and the, I guess more on, on, you know, they're starting to come out more on the retail side or people are using them. The Mylar type bags were like, they're like the potato chip bags, I guess, and stuff like that. Is that Mm -hmm. what the Mylar is? Yeah. So Mylar, if you, if you use the word Mylar, most people will think immediately think of like that silver metallic type bag. Um, Mylar is actually like the Kleenex of, um, it's called PET is the, the plastic and I'm not going to try to pronounce the chemical name. Yeah. <laughs> I don't because, blame you. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll butcher that. But, um, it's a commonly used, uh, polymer that's used in, uh, making bags for various different purposes, but, you know, DuPont trademarked the, the Mylar name and that's basically their form of PET that is, you know, optimized for certain applications. But then. When you um, metallicize it, so basically they spray a metal type substance onto the, the the plastic. That is what we kind of are usually referring to as mylar, that silver PET material. It has a uh, PET has really good capability or properties. It's strong. Um, it has good pro- uh, barrier properties. So it's it's commonly used in uh, lamination of bags because you can also print to it. So that's a lot of times why they use it. But when we refer to mylar, a lot of times it's a silver bag. More often than not, it's the thicker silver bag. Um, they by uh, by their nature, by tradition, have always had a high barrier um, property to them. So they 
do not allow very low transmission rates of uh, oxygen and moisture. And because of that, metallicized layer also protects uh, UV lights from um, affecting the product, so any light exposure. So that's what we normally refer to as mylar. And a lot of, I'd say most common, four mil, five mil thick. Um, and then a lot of times you can get some seven, six and seven mil mylar bag. Those can be sealed on, um, there's nothing really different in regards to mylar from any other vacuum bag because they still use the same sealing uh, layer. It's polyethylene to seal the bag to itself. So it can be done on any chamber machine. The, the difference is some chamber machines just can't get hot enough. And, and the only reason a lot of times is, is um, the, the transformer that heats up the wire, the, the combination of the transformer and the, the wire itself just can't handle it. Um, and even if it could handle it, it may only do it for a few cycles and then you're going to be overheating or burning out the, the wires. So um, on, the more, on the more commercial machines, the transformers for them are you know two, three times the size. So they're meant to put out a lot of power to that wire. Um, and they're also um, designed so that they can cool off in between cycles. They can keep doing that cycle after cycle. Um, yeah, and, they, and they, they're built to last longer. So like something like the VAC 100 can do it, but you don't want to do it very often or a long, you know, on a continuous type basis. The biggest thing is allowing plenty of time in between. If you're doing a really thick uh, bag, so I've tested up to uh, six mil, I may have even done a seven mil bag and it sealed beautifully. You're not pulling it apart or anything like that, but um, I would not, uh, you know, profess that you could do that for four hours straight with those long seal times and not have, um, you know, overheating issues with the wire. Because what happens every time those, these wires, the resistance type wires and um, when you send electricity to them, it changes the resistance of the wire, which is what effectively causes them to heat up. And every single cycle, that wire expands and contracts. So if you could actually look at the ends where it wraps around the seal bar, it'll actually lengthen. And usually the uh, seal bars will have like springs or some sort of spring-loaded device on the end or something that'll take up the slack in the wire. Uh, because if it wasn't there, then it would kink. A lot of times you'd, you'd bend right where that comes out because it would kind of create like slack. So because of that, uh, you definitely you, you definitely want to uh, make sure you're not running uh, those wires too hot because that wire is going to be expanding more than it really should be. Um, and it's never going to have a chance to cool off. And then that's what causes your wires to break. 95% of the time, the wire is going to break right on the end where it wraps around um, and goes into the bar. So. And that's what usually happens on these cheaper, you know, uh, channel type sealers anyway. They, you know, they, people use them, they abuse them, you know, a $50 thing that's not really made to do that. And the, the seal, you know, wire breaks and then they can't do anything else with it. You yeah, know, yeah. so, you know, yeah, it's either, either that or they try to vacuum seal up, you know, liquids and it gets in the pump and gums that up. So, yep. And I think a lot of them are using them just for sealers too, which is a nice feature of those food savers because unlike a, a chamber sealer, uh, food savers, you uh, you just have to close the jaws and it can seal because the, the jaws are what's keeping it closed. A lot of those models. Chambers, you need to create vacuum in order to, to seal the bag. So um, those, you can't just close the lid and immediately seal unless you're physically holding the the, mach- the, the lid down. But most chamber sealers, in order to seal it, it um, the way the bar lifts up and puts pressure is through um, little cylinders that um, those operate on the the, the pressure differential inside the chamber versus outside the chamber. So if you've got a chamber machine and you run like a really short vacuum time, you might have a, you might see that your seal doesn't look that great. If you run like, if, and a lot of these machines don't allow you to run too short of a cycle or a vacuum time. But if you had one that could adjust the time and you only ran like two or three seconds of vacuum and then immediately go into seal, um, you're going to notice that your seal is going to be really spotty and poor. 
Um, and that's because you're not giving the chamber enough vacuum in order to create a, a, a strong differential between the chamber and then the cylinder. And that's what gives you that pressure to seal the bag. And anyways, I, I'm a nerd when it comes in. in well, that's, well, that's good because I, I don't think a lot of people will know that and you won't find that in a manual somewhere, you know? Yeah. So that's good to know. And, and you know, that's why people listen to some of these stuff that I spout out <laughs> because yeah. they, they learn something they might not look, you know, learn by going online or looking in the manual. But that's another thing I want to talk about in the chamber sealers. And one of, one of the things that people freak out, you know, when they first get one, the, the first thing they want to do, what's the first thing they want to do with it? Oh, they want to put a bag of water in there and they watch it boil. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the first thing they do is they go, I want to watch this water boil. And why is the, why is the reason the water is boiling? Just so you can clear that up. Yeah, yeah. So water will boil in uh, in a vacuum because um, by creating vacuum, you're dropping the pressure. When you drop the pressure, um, it, it lowers the boiling point. So it's I mean you could jump on Amazon and look at boiling points at different pressures of, of water, and you could see and even do a little experiment that at your sea level, so you can find out what your sea level is, um, and then also uh, what pressure you're pulling down to, um, which pressure can be millibar readings. There's, there's a bunch of different readings. Millibar and tor is what we typically use in the, the vacuum world. But uh, based on those factors you're, and the temperature of the water, it'll boil at a said temperature. So as pressure drops, the uh, boiling point will drop. So I think it's 30 at perfect or just above perfect vacuum, you can boil like 38 or 40 degree water essentially, where if you're not getting down to that level, you're never going to get a cold liquid to ever boil, but you can get there if you, and that's one actually good way to test how good of a vacuum your chamber machine truly is getting is, you know, put water in there at a set temperature. And then based on that chart, see if it's really able to boil at that set temperature, because gauges on these machines aren't accurate, just so everyone knows, you know, they're, they're all calibrated and it's whatever whoever set the calibration yeah. decided to set it at. So it's, it's not the Bible by any means, as far as, um, you know, as it's far like as the thermometer in your oven. It's not, you know, you can yeah. set it to 350 and nine times out of 10, it's probably not 350. So, you know, most yeah. of the places in the oven. So, so it is physically boiling. It's not heating up. The, the liquid's not changing temperature, but it is right. physically boiling. It's just boiling. It's turning the water vapor. It's not getting hotter. So that's one of the things people get confused on. They think that if they stick their hand in there, then they're going to get burnt. Well, it's not that. It's the water is just turning the vapor because of the atmospheric pressure. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I want to ask on your on the commercial customers that maybe do uh, liquids or wet items a lot in their chamber sealers, what's their best way of getting it to not boil to have an issue with the seal or something like that do they chill the liquid first do they do a shorter runtime what's the best way because i've had this come up the other day with a friend of mine we were kind of talking about that and he you know thinks you got to get it pretty cold instead of just running a shorter vacuum what is it i know both of them can achieve the same thing but which one's better yeah definitely getting the liquid cold is better because you're you're ultimately able to get uh get the uh, vacuum level down more because again if you get it close to that freezing point just above freezing you know obviously a lot you don't want to freeze the liquid in some situations uh, but getting it close to that point then you could still pull you know roughly 99 percent vacuum without it getting to that boiling point the other uh option a lot on the commercial side and i'm sure again the technology they'll, they'll come out with this more on the uh, um, entry level but um using vacuum sensors on machines that actually don't just run off a simple time they actually look at the level of vacuum and they'll, they'll, they'll switch to seal once that level is reached. 
So um, most simple chamber machines, you set it to 30 seconds or whatever the time setting is, it'll time out and then it'll go into seal. Whereas if you uh, know at what pressure that product, let's say you're putting it in at 45 degrees, the product is consistently sitting at 45. You could look at the boiling point of liquid at 45 um, and then you can set your pressure at that level or just above that level. So you know it's never actually getting to that point and it'll consistently do that. It'll actually adjust the time automatically to hit that level each time. So um, on the commercial side, you know, that capability is on most machines. Cool. Now, what about using these um, filler plates? Does that have anything to do with if I did a shorter time on the vacuum since it's pulling less air or does it create a vacuum sooner because it's pulling less air because of the filler plates? Yeah, filler plates, commercial level, and again, everywhere, it's they're very popular to use. Um, they actually, uh, uh, there was a company that, um, SuperVac, another, I think they're out of, not Germany, but over in Europe, they came out with a system on their larger chamber machines that would have a balloon essentially in the lid of the chamber. So as it was pulling vacuum, it would actually balloon, fill the void inside the chamber, so it would pull vacuum quicker. So the more you can fill the chamber with any solid object and that's why the filler boards are always going to be a non-porous uh dense item it's not going to you're not going to find a filler board made out of wood or anything like that or would you want to but they're always going to be some sort of uh dense uh plastic that uh displaces air so you're no longer pulling as much air out in order to achieve the same result so um yeah using filler boards is always great general rule of thumb for people just uh, as an fyi uh you know, putting your product at the halfway point. So half, you know, if you're doing a two inch high product, you want your filler boards ideally set about an inch below the seal bar to give you the nicest, you know, flat surface for the, the bag to lay across. So the higher the product, the less likely you're gonna be using any filler boards or, or fewer. Um, but yeah, I know they're, they're very useful to, to have. They'll speed up the cycle and um, give you a better vacuum. Yeah, and speeding up the cycle is important when you want less, you know, less uh, abuse on your pump and all that. So yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I I know that the dry pumps are you know not really good for the commercial process, but or use, but you know for some of these smaller, more affordable chambers that are coming out for home users, like I said if they're using it ten, twelve times a week, I don't think it's really gonna make too much of a difference. Um, it, it's definitely not gonna last as long and and, and all that, but um, you know I think for if somebody's just using it, you know, occasionally, you know, like I said, I think they're, it gets them into a chamber sealer, you know, a four, and even though, you know, they're for still 400 and $300 on the smaller ones, but it's still a lot more affordable than the 12, $1,500 ones, or even the JV, you know, the VAC 100 at $800. So it's, um, you know, get somebody that maybe, maybe would have not bought one to get one and realize how much they really love it. So, yeah. Yeah. What I, I mean, what I'd recommend is if, if you can't afford to buy an oil pump from a reputable company or someone that you've heard of, um, don't, uh, buy, at least buy a dry type pump, but at least buy it from someone that. Yeah. Has a company that's going to back it up instead yeah. of the, the, the ones that are on eBay. I mean, we had somebody in the uh, Facebook group the other day, you know, it was had that issue with the Mylar bags and, you know, we're trying to explain to her that it was, you know, that was the, you bought a cheap three hundred dollar, you know, one on eBay that nobody's backing. So, <laughs> yeah. and, and I, who knows, ninety percent, ninety five percent might might be fine. So it's a roll of the dice. It always is with those machines, right? Um, 
you know, again, years ago when we brought them in, we, we brought in like 10 of a very similar model machine. And I think six of the 10 worked fine. Um, I've actually got one in my garage uh, that I still tinker with from time to time just to use. But um, but yeah, a lot of them, you know, pumps burned out on them, controls acted up. And so if you get a good one, again, you know, great. If not, then you're kind of stuck. Well, I've been really uh, satisfied with the VAC 100. I know a couple other people have bought them from my suggestion of love them as well. So to me, it's the perfect in between. Like I said, it's, it's that it does everything I want it to do. It's got the option with the, uh, with the canisters and all that, and I can program it. I can program different settings. So if I want to, you know, do a, have one where I know I need a longer, you know, time, you know, vacuum time, I can set, just press the button, you know, or I want a shorter vacuum time. That's what I do with my locals. I set the programming, you know, on that. So instead of doing, doing 30 seconds, I'll maybe go 25 seconds and have both my filler plates in and just use that, uh, that program. So I like the fact that that one's programmable and it can uh, do some other things and it's low profile. It's not taking up my whole entire, you know, uh, counter space, but it, it is still, they are still, you know, they do still take up space compared to a channel type sealer. That's for sure. So, because they are a chamber, you know, you got to have a chamber no matter how you look at it. Yeah. Yeah. And a couple things um, I, I did bring up um, and this, this goes for pretty much any chamber machine. Um, I was going to do up a video with the VAC 100 just to show customers that they could do this, but um, you can run, if you want to run a longer product or something larger, uh, as long as it fits across the seal bar, you can run it on any chamber machine. You can literally use an embossed bag like you would on your food saver and then basically use your, your chamber machine as a essentially as a food saver. So just keep that in mind. Um, I had a guy ask the other day and when I told him that, he's like, oh, that's fantastic. And I was like, yeah, if you want to run a, like doing a filet or something, long, you know, fish, um, and you want to run a really long bag, you can still do that. And I'll, I'll be doing up a video to show people exactly what I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, you just put the bag inside and have the product outside and it pulls the vacuum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then with the VAC 100, you can tilt it. What's nice, you can tilt it forward. It's it's really meant for servicing, um, but you can tilt it forward. And if you're doing a, a long product that has a lot of liquid, you can actually lay it in, in a way that the bag would hang off, almost like hang off the table, if, if you're picturing that. Um, right. Yeah. That's what I would normally do with a channel sealer. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you you try to avoid the liquid getting up there, and then you know a lot of those have have a pulse function now, so it makes it a little easier to do liquids because you can just hit the pulse and go chut 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 until it gets yeah. right up there. But um, so I'm pulling up the website here just so people can know what we're talking about. JVR Inc. is the website. And um, you have a lot of commercial type products on there because that's what you guys specialized in. But it kind of shows you the different, um, you can go there and look at some of the equipment and you can see some of these monsters that you're talking about. Um, But you can also go into the shop now and um, check out the VAC 100, uh, JVR VAC 100 right there. People see that. And if you use the code fire and water, you will be able to get $100 off. They're back in stock. They were out of stock for a while. We sold out of these for, you know, people. Um, I started telling people about them and people started really, uh, you know, buying them up. So I think we uh, we established that you can sell these things on a retail basis and that there's a market for them. So now you've got all the um, parts and, and, and stuff like that in there as well. So I'm glad you guys have uh, decided to continue selling these because I think, like I said, it's it's about the perfect. I, and I, I've, I've had a vac 
master. I've had some of the commercial uh, channel sealers. I've had some of the Avid armors, you know. And to me, I, I like this setup because it's low profile, but it's the chamber's big enough. It's got a lot of options as far as you know the presets and all that that you can do, and it's got a lot of power. And I, I really like it. So. I think it's perfect for people like me that do go buy bulk foods and, and vacuum pack it. Plus I do a lot of sous vide cooking, you know, and I do a lot of briskets and pork butts where I need the bigger bags and, and stuff like that. So I can use it with the uh, channel type ones as well. So, so you can check them out. And like I said, you do have all the um, replacement parts for it as well. So that now if they, Somehow they need a new seal bar or something like that, or gaskets or the oil. You can just order it from them as well. So plenty of bags. I know you got bags on there. And um, just uh, make sure you guys check it out. Uh, check out the uh, VAC 100 as well. And um, I know, do you guys still include the, the canister there? Yep. Yeah, canister comes with the machine. You get one of those. Um, I know when I got mine, I had the canister, the attachment, and the, the thing for your wine stopper which is pretty convenient. If, you, if you're a wino like me <laughs> and you open bottles of wine and, and leave them, you want to get all that oxygen out so it doesn't deteriorate your wine, you can put that little vacuum uh, stopper on there and get all the uh, oxygen out, and it'll sit there and stay just as long as you want. So, but um, Yeah, one thing we, we like to stress is um, – you know, we actually highly encourage customers to, to call us. Uh, we're a very uh, personal company when it comes to that. I know a lot of things are online now, and actually the online sales has been fantastic. It's great seeing machines sell without even talking to people, and it's, it stuns me sometimes that someone spends that amount of money without wanting to talk to someone. But, I mean, it doesn't bother us. But uh, at the same time, if you have you get a machine, we had a, I had a guy call or actually send an email on Saturday that he got his, his back 100 and um, it looks like it just took, you know, a little extra brunt on the shipping. Um, so he called and he, he let us know that there was a little bit of damage to it. And I, I ended up calling him up, uh, you know, Saturday morning just to follow up with him and just find out what was going on. And we took care of him and ended up uh, sending another unit just to replace because we don't like the own that. But call, call us. I mean, don't ever get upset or uh, we are the most service oriented company. That's how we've been successful for as long as we have. It's because we don't let anyone, um, you know, go have a bad experience. I mean, we'll we'll make right by any situation. So, uh, again, call us. We're open 830 to 5, Monday through Friday. Um, but I'll be honest, if you, like, email Andrew at JVR Inc., I check my – I can't say anyone else in the company does that. But um, <laughs> my dad I know does. He, he does as well. He's constantly talking to distributors over the weekend. But if it's an emergency, you know, if you're just sending me an email to say, thanks, I got the machine, I might not get back to you. But – if it's something important that needs to be addressed, I will make sure we get in touch with it. Now, do you you got some other products you, you're going to start releasing soon? You said correct. Uh, yeah, well, attachments for the VAC 100. Um, I mean, we do have a um, a chamber that we were trying to to source out and make some modifications to to get it to work that would allow you to do um, jars, uh, canning jars, and uh, I think this is probably the one that we're going to be doing here. Which I don't know if you can see in the video, but yeah. But basically, it allows you to do like your quart, your pint, your uh, half gallon, up to half gallon canning jars in there. Um, whatever you can fit in there, you pull a vacuum on, uh, three-piece lid-style mason jar, and you'll be able to vacuum seal uh, mason jars, uh, multiple jars at a time. Basically, you do the same thing with any chamber machine inside the chamber. The only problem is, is most 
Most Size. chambers don't have a big enough uh, chamber to do anything more than some. You could go up to a court, but most of them uh, you're at a pint to maybe a, a court at most. So yeah, and the back 100 is is low profile, so it's not really deep. I mean, so you really you could put the six inch ones I think in there, but um, if you want any bigger, you need something like that. So uh, is there uh, any other uh, chamber sealers that you're coming out with? I thought you were coming out with another maybe mm-hmm. a lower end one or. Uh, we're not going any lower than the back 100 at this time. We do have that, um, back 110 model, which, uh, you won't find on our website just yet. We're doing it. We're offering it just through distributors. It's, uh, very similar profile to some of the other chambers that are out there, but, um, it is an alternative. Uh, we're offering it more for customers that are looking for just a little bit more height. Cause there are a few situations where guys are looking for just a little bit more chamber height and they're not so Right. low profile design and there is a one model i have in mind um it's actually the back 100 just a little bit um a little bit narrower uh, it would only have i think like a 10 inch sail bar instead of a 12 we're just working out the, the details on that um i can't guarantee that we're going to be introducing that one or not but we're going to be bringing at least a few in to sample them and see um if there's going to be a market for it at a slightly lower price point but our biggest concern is we don't want to we really don't want to bring our price down to a point where we can't justify or provide the service that we, we provide. Yeah, so, yeah definitely. And at some point, you're um, not, you're not looking for mass market. That's for sure. You, you don't want to be in Walmarts and uh, home depots and all that or whatever. Like no, the, usually companies live and die by the Walmarts of the world. So we oh, yeah. learn to stay out of that. So there's no plans to offer any kind of channel back. So you're strictly going to stay with the, the uh, chambers. Oh, yeah. The channel. Yeah, we were. So maybe that's where you're going. Yeah, no, I was, I was testing out channel backs. We got so busy with the back 100 and, and other, cause actually the commercial side, um, you know, we have been blessed during this whole pandemic as far as just the business and stuff like that goes. I know there's a lot of companies out there that are, are hurting right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's terrible in New York, uh, with all the shutdowns, it's, it's really hurting a lot of guys. We, um, have not felt that. And we've been just trying to kind of stay, you know, with keep our head above water. Yeah. Keep your yeah, heads above yeah. water. Well, not in a bad way, but in a way of just, you know, making right. sure we're able to maintain our accounts and keep everyone, you know, set, you know, happy and, uh, support them also. Um, you know, that was something that we were definitely looking towards when we had some time. And uh, I'm sure we'll revisit that at some point, but not in, our, not in a rush to do so at this point. Gotcha. Well, I want to thank you for being on, Andy. Um, anything else you want to talk about? What's coming up? What's going on? What do you? Where do you see these... Um, these type of products going in the future? Do you think it's going to get, they're going to get more affordable? There's going to be more opportunities, more companies getting involved in it. How do you see it? Yeah. Um, there's always companies popping up. I mean, they, they come and go and, uh, I, I don't see that changing at all. Um, I don't see, I mean, we joke around about this, the back, the back 100. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if in a few years, there's a machine that looks identical to the back 100. That's going to be, starting to sell and maybe at a lower price point and who knows, it might even be from the same source that we have because right. um, that's, uh, that's how the, that market is. So I, I do see the prices continuing to come down. I don't know what the, the bottom line price point will be for the chamber machines. I would say in the two to $300 range, but it's still not a machine that um, is going to be in every home in America. Uh, right. A lot of people that do not, not just because of price, but even like the food savers, they're, they're affordable by now, but yeah. everyone just doesn't want to take that extra stuff to, to seal it up. And I mean, I, I've got access to unlimited chamber machine and all that. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit that 
Um, I don't seal everything that uh, goes in the fridge or that, you know, we still end up throwing away food. But so technology wise, I mean, these machines, uh, I, I talked to my dad from back in the, the, the 70s when they started selling them, they haven't changed a whole lot. Yes, the reliability in a lot of aspects have changed, but controls and, and different things, sizes, um, they, you know, definitely made these things uh, smaller. Um, but, but they still uh, just vacuum seal food. They vacuum seal food. I try not to overcomplicate it. People, <laughs> I mean, it's like a three, four step process and they're right. they're very simple. I think if anything, the innovation will come more and more on like the, the commercial, the high-end commercial side of things as far as speed. That's that's what they're always looking for is how to make things faster. But um, I think the home side, it'll be making them smaller, making them cheaper. Um, that's, that's it as far as innovation goes. And there are some other things and like the restaurant side of things where they 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 track steel temperatures and there's traceability when it comes to sealing on that side because um there's a lot of regulation when it comes to that on like the commercial packaging side oh, yeah. um but i don't think we'll ever need to get to that point on the home 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 use side yeah i think one of the biggest reasons this whole market and especially on the chamber or the channel side and somewhat on the chamber side is the fact that a lot of people are, you know, using sous vide cooking now and, you know, usually, you know, you can do it in a Ziploc bag and, and others, but it makes it a whole lot easier if you got some kind of vacuum sealer. So that's where I see the big demand that's spurted in the last, you know, six, six years or so and all this different competition getting involved in it. And, and it's kind of forced some of these manufacturers to try to offer some of these more affordable chamber sealers as well. So, but um, all right. Andy, I'll let you go. I really appreciate you being on and maybe I'll have you on again when we got some other things to talk about, but a lot of good information on channel sealers and vacuum sealing in general and what you guys do. But so check out jvrinc.com and uh, check out the VAC 100, but just check out all the stuff. You can see what they offer. I know that uh, most people aren't going to be interested in those big machines, but Hey, they're fun to look at. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, <laughs> you right. know, I'd like to I'd like to play with one of those big ones one time, see if I can vacuum like a whole cow at once or something. You know? come, come up and visit us. Yeah, we, we have one customer who does primal cuts that are like 40 pounds he throws in the chamber machine of just like sides of beef. And uh, so, yeah, if you want to ever come up and pay us a visit, uh, you're more than welcome to play around as long as you want. All right, buddy. Well, thanks again, Andy. Thanks for following the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I will see you on the next episode. Well, thanks again for listening to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I want to thank Andy Ising of JVR Industries again for talking about vacuum sealers with me. Make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking Facebook group page, YouTube channel, podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you check out the new Fire and Water Cooking book on Amazon. Make sure you check out JVR Industries in the link below as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I'll see you on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.